We'll get them all out of here and then we'll start. Skinny crowd today, huh? Everybody's on vacation. Pat, would you shut the door for me, please? Um, I don't care, just the ones, just, it keeps it quieter. Yeah, those are fine. Okay, thank you, I'm good. Well, we've been talking about raising children, spiritual, scriptural directives for raising children, and I know a lot of you here, your children are raised. But it's, it's just, it's so important, the next generation. He talked about going to the ark, and the ark was amazing. And, of course, the guys look at how it was constructed and the size of it. And I, the thing that amazed me was we think about, you know, it took all this time. They had to hew the wood. They had to chop the wood. They had to hew the wood. They had to prepare the wood. Then they had to build it. They had to have the understanding how to do all these things. And this ark was built exactly. To this week I went back and read in Genesis about all the directions, and it was just like they said. It was the three levels and the length. And, and there's in one end um, there was a disposal system. And we think people back then were stupid. We couldn't probably figure that out hardly. And then I never thought about there were cages, little made out of all the little sticks for all the different birds and then all the pottery where they had to store water, fresh water and and all the food had to be raised to take in there and it was such an immense process but when we went out um, we went through Missouri and across Illinois and that was fine because we were kind of on state highways and then we hit Indiana and we hit Indianapolis and I mean that is the worst traffic. We have been in L.A., we have been in Chicago, we have been back east. That was absolutely the worst traffic. It was nuts. I mean, it was six lanes of traffic, bumper to bumper, going 80 miles an hour. There was no way if somebody crashed in front of you that you even had a chance. And they all do it day after day after day after day. Well, then we got around there, and to Cincinnati it wasn't bad, and we kind of skirted Cincinnati, and then from Cincinnati south it was only about 30 miles and that's interstate and you get on and it was just crazy again and it was semi after semi but it's so hilly and rocky there aren't side roads you know like every mile there's a, a side road in Nebraska where you can get off there's no side roads everybody that's drive if there is they're just little winding things you they have to be on there but so we drive through all this craziness, and I just can't imagine living like that. I can't imagine living there. That's not my lifestyle. So the first day we go down by Lexington, Kentucky, to a, um, a Shaker village. You know what, shake, the Shakers are like Amish or Mennonite, only they were the master furniture craftsmen. So that's Mike has always wanted to go and see their furniture, and they don't live there anymore, but it's been restored. And it was like walking back into the 1800s. It was peaceful. It was so peaceful. It was so quiet. There, you know, you park your vehicle, everything, you walk, and 
And it was, I'm modern, they've had air conditioning in the buildings, but it was just, there was such a peace about it. And then the next day we went to the Ark, and there's thousands of people go through there every day. They average three to 5,000 people. Their top day, I think they said, was 9,000. But it's a different atmosphere because the people that are going there are believers that want to see it. And they're coming from all over the nation. And there were, I was amazed, there were a lot of Mennonites there. There were some families of Amish, lots of Southern Baptists. You could, you could just tell, but it was everyone, you know, you, so many places you go and there's just, people are weird and just defiant and angry and frustrated, and there wasn't that there. It was just everybody was happy and at peace, and that struck me more than anything else. It was like going back years ago, you know, when things were just different. And, and so that was really nice. But the sad thing about it all was there were very few Micah's age. There, there were kids. There were a lot of parents with kids, grandparents with kids. There were lots of older people. But there just were not very few of the millennials. And I know, you know, they work. They can't get off as much. But they can make it to any place else they want to go. And that, to me, was sad. And um, so I think it's really, you know, I look at all that and what's going on in the world. I can't imagine. I get on the Internet, and this has just been more prevalent. You read, I read just the headlines. I don't read every story. But there's so many stories about, oh, this mom was arrested for leaving the child in the car. Or this, this week some girl killed her mother and her grandmother. You know, and there's so, it's so awful, the things that are going on. And we could have it the other way. But it's because of the denial of Christ and Christianity, and yet they're so angry at Christians. And so you know what the world's coming to, and so we need to be strong, and we need to raise our children to be strong. I don't think that... You know, it's going to suffice anymore to, w to raise children that are weak and can't take it. We need to have children that are able to stand up to these things. There was a couple young men that were m about Micah's age, and I'm pretty sure they were Mennonite, and they were there, and they were just, uh, they were with a guy, and he was tall, and he's taking pictures, and I mean, he was studying it. You could spend hours there because it went through and explained everything. I think he was studying the woodworking construction of it all, and it was pretty interesting. So I would encourage you to do that, but what I want to continue to talk about is raising spiritual, the spiritual scriptural directives for raising children, and I, you know, like I said, so many, your children are raised, my children are raised, but you're going to have grandchildren. You just should be able to affect children. We need to be praying uh, for the young people because they need it. In Luke 1, 8, you don't need to turn there. This has been our foundation scripture. It says, John, speaking of John the Baptist, grew and waxed strong in spirit. He had a task before him, and he had to be strong to do it. And Luke 2, 40 says, Jesus grew and increased in stature, and he had a task to do, and he had to be strong 
to do it, and I, we have tasks to do. So not only do these things apply to raising our children, if you want to raise your children to have these characteristics, we should be trying to have these things in our lives also. So a quick review. I talked about the first thing is they need to grow and increase in stature physically and mentally. In 1 Thessalonians, you can look that up sometime on your own. It talks about the spirit, soul, and body. And we are spirit beings. We have souls. That's the mind, the will, and the emotions. And we live in physical bodies. And our spirit man should be in ascendancy. It should be top priority. It should take allow us or enable us to control our minds and our bodies. So we need to build up the spirit man. But as children, it's kind of a reverse process. In anything, people want to, a lot of times, want the big production, but you need to start with the small things. So they need to have strong bodies, strong minds, and then the strong, and the strong spirit will follow after. It will come naturally. So we need to start with children with the body, the soul, and the spirit and build up and develop those things. And it's, you know, same with us. We sh should endeavor to have strong, healthy bodies. It's God's will that we prosper and be in health even as our soul prospers. He's interested in the whole part of man. So it, it's important that we develop and see that your children develop physical and mental strength because it's going to take it in this last day and age. You can't have kids that are going to faint, and we can't faint in the day of adversity. So we want to promote health and skills in our kids. And in number two, it says they waxed or grew strong in spirit. So first body, then mind, and then the spirit man is developed. Inner strength is built while developing physical skills. And I've talked about this. Gardening and fishing develop patience and long-suffering. Chores and sports and camping and hiking develop endurance and the ability to stay on task while working for a goal, following directions and getting along with others. Um, jobs develop physical skills, and all of these things develop confidence. Having pets develop kindness and goodness and responsibility. And one of the things they see happening so much around here. You know, it took them so long to open Buffalo Wild Wings. And I'm thinking, what is taking so long? Well, I heard a diff bunch of different things, but Micah had told me he heard it was because they were having trouble getting enough people hired, enough workers. And now they've been advertising all this week that they're having a hiring fair for raising canes. And I read this week on the Internet that Nebraska has, like, 63,000 people that are able-bodied but don't have jo aren't taking jobs because it's easier to stay on welfare. And, you know, so, and the thing I see so much with teenagers, they aren't, they aren't getting summer jobs like they used to. It's kind of not the cool thing to have a job. It's kind of the, more the cool thing to see if you can live off the folks a little more. And I think we're really missing it as, as, as a society in that because, you know, and the school systems promote all these intellectual activities. And, yes, we need to develop the mind. But you learn so much when you work. You learn so much when you work at McDonald's or Lou's or Menard's. Yeah. It's, it's not so much the intellectual, but it's how to get along with people, how to take orders, how to work themselves, 
you know, up from one thing to another. And there's so many jobs anymore. This is kind of a pet peeve. They're we get these huge, massive corporations, and they're running them from Timbuktu. You know, they're not close to the people. They don't understand the people. It's like they sit in their ivory towers and make rules, and there's no consideration because I don't think they've ever worked other than just get a big degree and sit in an office. I don't think they've ever rubbed shoulders and, and bend down on the front lines of working. And I think we're missing it as a society. You need to teach kids how to work and how to have a job and how to take orders from somebody else. That's a good thing. That will enable them all along the way. So, so that's one way that helps to become strong in spirit. When you have to endure some things, you become strong in spirit. Number three, increase in wisdom. We all need to increase in wisdom. It talks about in James, if you ask for wisdom, God says, I will give it to you liberally. But wise decision making, it talked about Jesus, he increased in wisdom and stature. Even Jesus wasn't super wise from day one. You have to increase. It's a step-by-step -step process, and it's something each one of us should be endeavoring to be increasing in wisdom daily, not just as children, but it's a step-by-step -step process. We need to become more wise. And children need to learn to be wise in their decision-making, and you start that by making wise, small decisions, and they lead to wise, bigger decisions. And then um, it's important... Um, that we allow them to have the step-by-step -step process. They're going to make mistakes, but it's better to make mistakes when they're decisions that affect things that aren't life-threatening. As they get older and as they're 16 and they're driving cars and, and doing all these things, then they are making decisions that are life-and-death things. And so we want them to be wise before they get to that state, and they will increase as they go. The next thing is grace. If we become strong in mind, strong in body, full of wisdom, then the grace of God is, comes upon us. Grace is favor accompanied by provision. Grace is from God. God's grace is something we should all desire. It's a difference maker. I mean, every one of us have problems. Every one of us face things. It, we want God's grace upon our life because it makes the difference. It's help in time of need. And, and then, um, so the next step is favor. And this is the one we talked about last time. We want favor with God. Uh, favor is approval, support, liking that promotes acts of kindness toward, to be pleased with, to be favorable towards, to be pleasing to God. Let's look at Psalm 37. I'll read it if you don't have your Bibles. If you do, you can turn there. Psalm 37, verses 4 and five, it says, delight yourself also in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will drink, bring it to pass. If you delight yourself in the Lord, then it's going to bring the favor of God upon you. He loves everybody, and he desires that everybody be saved. But there are people that are saved that probably don't have a lot of favor with God because they aren't really seeking him. They're just getting by spiritually but we want to have favor we want our kids to have favor with God we want them to be pleasing towards God 
the results or perks for having favor with God are answered. Prayer, read the book of Daniel. Daniel had favor with God. Understanding. I want my kids to have understanding of the times and what's going on and what's going on around them because it helps them to make wise decisions. And then also it gives us a personal inner strength. If you know that God before you and who can stand against you, it gives you uh, an inner self-confidence that we all need. Now today we're going to talk about, well, let's turn to Luke 2, chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, turn there. We've looked at this scripture, but we'll take it to the last step here. Luke chapter 2, verse 40, and this is talking about Jesus, and these are the steps. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, so he grew physically, mentally, became strong in spirit. He was filled with wisdom. The grace of God was upon him, okay? And then we look over to verse 52, and it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom, continued, increased in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and in favor with man. And so we want to have favor with men. We want our children to have favor with men. That doesn't mean that we have to become worldly, but it means that they need to be pleasing and acceptable to people to be able to get along. If, if the world, and this is one of the problems, I think, with Christianity, the world looks at Christians and there isn't much favor. We don't have much favor with the world. They just see it as something ugly and bad and mean-spirited. And that's, that's the wrong impression, but perhaps we need to look at ourselves and realize that's the impression we've been putting off. We do not have favor with men. And uh, I was, as I was thinking about this and I was going through this, and you need to understand there's a difference between love and like. We are commanded to love all people. We are commanded to be kind and to be generous and to consider their welfare. But we don't have to like all people. You know, there are just people that you naturally like. There are just people I'm just attracted to as a friend more than other people. And I was thinking about these things. And, and we think about these things with our kids, things that I like in people. I like people that are interested in things because they're interested. You know, I li- and they don't have to be interested in the same things I'm interested in. You know, I like to talk to Terry Dahlketter because he likes baseball, and I like baseball. And Brian's interested in fishing and hunting, and that interests me. I like to talk about those things. You know, I grew up in, I was thinking, I grew up in Monroe. You talked about about five things, the weather, the farm, the baseball, you know, the neighbors. That, that was about it. The, the one thing I loved about going to Oral Roberts University was the diversity. I loved getting to know the California kids and the Alabama kids. And, you know, I made friends with a girl from Dallas, and she was so sophisticated. She listened to to very refined music, classical music as she studied. And I'd never really heard, you know, I was from Monroe. And, but it just fascinated me getting, my one of my roommates was from Cleveland, Ohio, and she had gone to college at Kent State. If you know any, that was Kent State, the hippie movement. And she had this element of hippie in her. But I really, 
I, she fascinated me and she was fun to be with. And, and I enjoyed all these different people. And I love like going to antique shows. And, and I went out to Kearney and helped Kaylee with the craft show and just visiting with the different vendors and getting to know them. And they're interesting. And there was one lady out there, and she was selling goat soap and goat milk and goat. And, and she, Caleb says, only Caleb's sense of humor, he says, you know, that lady, if I could pick out of a, a lineup of somebody that would raise goats, it was her. She just looked like, and, and I visited her, and she just loved her goats, and she loved raising her goats. And, and it just interests me, all the different things. So I like interesting people. I like people that are interested in something. We need to be interested in something because that's how we relate to people. Um, kids need to be interested in something. I think, you know, so many kids anymore, what are they really interested in? Because what have we invested in them to be interested in them? Find their passion. I never realized... I wanted Caleb to be an outdoorsman, but I never realized that he would have such a pa trapping. I had never been around anybody that trapped, and that's, but it's interesting. And now I'm interested in the furs and how they're sold and how they're, that interests me. And I never realized that when Micah loved Nerf guns, that it would develop into the other interests of, of he's interested in, in tactical guns about, you know, carrying guns and defend self-defense and home defense and church defense. And it's interesting to me. And you learn, you know, you can't be an expert in any, everything, but the more people are around, the more you can learn. I'd rather learn it from being by somebody than having to read it out of a book, you know, because they're an expert in that area. And it's interesting. So you want your kids to grow up to be interested in it. What are they interested in? Develop it. You know, Mike didn't really like to hunt. He had never hunted that much, but he, because the boys did, then he started to develop an interest in it. He invested in them. He would have rather had them in the shop refinishing antiques with him, but no, he had to invest something in what they're interested in, develop those interests. I think that's important, and, and it makes them become bold and confident I think kids need to have an opinion. And the book I read, he talked about, you know, we talk about different cultures and things with different cultures. The German culture, one of the things is children should be seen and not heard. And, yeah, you don't want yakety-yak all the time and want them to be interrupting your conversations, but children should be able to be able to visit with you and and express their opinion and develop ideas. And, and so many times they get shoved down and, and you want kids to have inquisitive minds. I feel like the public school system really kills that because it just makes you have to march in order. Let them, let them develop some things. Let them, and I know you can't do it when you've got 500 kids, but they should be studying things that they're interested in. You know, Caleb has learned more about biology, anatomy, and physiology just by working on his furs and his animals than he ever did in the classroom. He just skimmed by, you know, and I was the same way. Physics did not, I hated that physics class. 
But when I started playing volleyball and understood everything is physics, the direction the ball, the way it spins, it's all physics, then I'm suddenly interested. So I think everything is backwards. Kids need to take their interest. That's what Thomas Jefferson did. He, was, he had a third grade education and he was probably the smartest man on the earth at the time because he took what he was interested in and studied it because he had an inquisitive mind and we want our kids to be that way. We should allow them to be inquisitive and interested if they've got to be interested in things. Now children can be bold and confident and have an opinion. They can you know, not be weak, wimpy and compliant but they can still be disciplined. Nobody wants a kid that's just annoying all the time. They need to be disciplined, but they don't need to be compliant in the, the sense that they can't think for themselves. And, you know, I, they, they get so regimented anymore, and they just so then they just comply and follow the crowd, and you don't want your kid to be so compliant that they're just going to follow the crowd because most of the crowds are going the wrong way. Allow them to be strong and have opinions and learn what's right and wrong. To be strong and wise, you cannot cave in to every wind of doctrine, every trend, and to ungodly worldliness. We need to be strong. We need to know what we believe, why we believe it, and have the backbone to stand up for what we believe. People that are, okay, so I like people that are interesting, interested in things. That's why I like people that have a strong opinion. I don't care if it's different from my opinion. I love to argue with you about it. Just don't get offended with me, you know. But have an opinion for goodness sakes. And Christianity has promoted weakness. And it's just like we've got to comply to everything. And we don't. There's no place in the here that says we have to comply to every whim and wish of the world. We need to stand up and be strong and to be bold and know what we believe. Number two, I like people that are lively, full of life and enjoy life. I like people that know how to have fun. Now, I don't think going to nightclubs and clubbing, and to me, that's not fun, but I like people that have fun. Yesterday, uh, our neighbor boy's going to get married and yesterday they all canoed the Elkhorn River and they had so much fun because they just did things they had fun and and people need to learn how to enjoy life God does not want us to be dull and drab and boring because that doesn't attract anybody that doesn't attract people to us So we need to enjoy life because I don't want to follow anybody that hates life. You know, I hate going out in the world and they're just old grumpy farts all the time. I don't like to be around them. I like to be around people that are happy and full of life and enjoying life. I don't care to spend time with dull, boring, lifeless people. I have a name for them. I call them flatliners. They're just like they're dead. Their bodies are alive, but their minds are dead, and they're just flatlining through life, just, you know, going through life, not enjoying it, not prospering, not being in health, not any of the things God wants us to be. I want to be around people um, that are full of life. Now, like I said, understand there's a difference between love and like. We are instructed to love all people. Love is to be kind and courteous and generous, but you don't have to want to hang out with them all the time. 
you should conduct your life so that they want to hang out with you. I like people that are generous, people that are not selfish and self-centered. And we need, that's one thing we need to be. I don't believe that we should give our kids everything. I don't think we should just hand them everything. They need to learn to work and earn and take responsibility. But I, on the other hand, I think we need to be generous with our children. Just think about it this way. If we're generous to them now, someday when you're 95 and they're taking care of you, you're going to reap what you sow, and I want them to be generous back to me at that point in my life. So we need to be generous to people, not just finances, but with our time and our energy. And, and we have such an our neighborhood has just become such a nice little community. Everybody helps everybody. We house sit for the neighbors. They dog sit for us when they're away. Then the other guy comes down and dog sits and and he loans us his trailer, and Mike helps him lift and carry, and, and everybody watches out. We were in Kentucky, and I get a phone call from the Culver's guy, Zach. He lives down the street, and he says, your garage door's open, and you're on vacation, aren't you? And I, yeah. He says, well, we drove by, and we didn't think that was right. And I said, well, the neighbor next door is probably over letting the dog out. But I says, if it's not closed in the next hour, you call us. Well, he didn't call back. But everybody in the neighborhood has become generous and we look out for and it's it's really a nice thing and so I like to be around people that are courteous and they treat me and others respectfully and we need to teach our children to be courteous I'm going to get off on one little short issue here because Mike wanted me to address this sometime and I'll do it in front of the women about a year ago we had a young woman visit church, and she had relatives at Stanton, and she was here visiting them, and she came to church, and that was fine. That was good. She's welcome. Well, a couple, about a month or so ago, we get an email from her. In the first place, I don't know how she got our email, but she emailed us, and she says, um, my family and I are going to be in the area, and we're coming to church. Okay, that's fine. We're glad to have you. About a week before that, she... Well, we're arriving in Nebraska, and we're going to be in church this Sunday. And I'm starting to think, what do you want? Do you want us to announce you? when You, what, you know, come to church. You're welcome to come to church. But what, what are you expecting out of us here? Well, I wasn't paying much attention, and I found this out later. Well, she, they come in to church that Sunday, and the first thing they see Nate in his collar, and they walk over and they lay hands on him and pray for him. And Brad, was, Brad says, I, something wasn't right. Something was out of order. Why do you do that immediately when you come into another church? Well, that day, Mike prayed for some people up here, and then when church, I didn't even know they were here, really. I didn't recognize them. And then Micah said as soon as church was over and Mike and I walked out, they took the people that Mike had prayed for and got in a circle and laid hands on them and prayed for them again. Now, number one, the word of God says let no man lay hands on you suddenly because you don't know who they are, what their spirit they're transmitting. And I don't think sometimes people do things out of ignorance. 
and it takes people back. Somebody walk up to you and just want to pray for you. It just kind of startles you. You don't know what to do. But the more I thought about it, it really irritated me because when we leave here and you go out to eat at Big Red, are you going to walk up to a table and start taking their order? What would you do if your kids went to the neighbor's house, walked in, took the stuff out of the refrigerator and started cooking it? Or you had a graduation party and somebody didn't like your food, so they went to the refrigerator and got out what else they wanted. It's rude. It's, and I don't understand why people think that way. It's either, it's either ignorance. It's, they're just, it's just out of order. And it's rude. And I think, you know, why does somebody, they wouldn't do that to somebody's house. Why do they think they're not under authority of this house? We don't know them. And it isn't that we don't want them here. It isn't that we aren't inclusive. But you don't treat people like that. And I don't know why Christians become ill-mannered just because they're Christians. Just think of common courtesy. Don't go into somebody else's house or somebody else's church. I don't go when we go visit another church and have to take over the service, just sit there and receive. And, and once you get to know somebody, you know, then let them, you know. I had an aunt. I never felt like I had to knock at her door. I could walk into her house anytime. But that was the only other house other than our own that I could do that because we had that relationship. But you need to understand, and our kids kids wouldn't dream of doing something like that. Why would somebody dream of doing that? And, and here's the thing, why I'm telling you this. Not to lambast them so much, but in the end times, in the times we're living in, it talks about there's going to be a lot of people that are deceived and being deceived. And one way, it's a simple way to keep from being deceived, look out for people that don't understand order, authority, and they're not courteous. They were out of order. So look out for people that are out of order. You know, to me, that, that's pretty simple. That's a simple way, but watch for people out of order because most likely their motives are wrong. Either they're deceived, they're ignorant, or their motives are wrong. They want to draw attention to themselves. And so that's a simple way to, to watch for things. We need to be alert. It talks about in the Bible to watch and pray. You know, Kenneth Hagin always talked about that. Watch and pray. You don't have to just close your eyes. Pay attention to what's going on in the world around you. Pay attention to what's going on in the services around you. Don't be naive. There's a lot of screwy stuff out there. So I like people that treat, I, I felt that was very disrespectful to the house put it that way. And I don't like to be people. They don't have favor with me. It's just that simple. They will not have favor with me. They need to learn to be respectful of the house. And you look at that with other people. And so we want to train our children and we want to be respectful of other people. Okay? Um, I don't like to be around people that are arrogant and elitist. And I got that feeling that our prayers weren't good enough. They had to pray. I got that feeling, you know, and maybe that's wrong. It says, well, you don't judge. No, you don't judge the person, but you can judge actions, okay? And you don't, like I said, you love people, treat them respectfully, 
but you don't have to like their behavior and you don't have to give in to it. I don't like to be around arrogant, elitist people. I've been around a lot of people that are have right to be elite and, and are intelligent and high up, but they don't, they don't have to come across as arrogant. So things we need to invest into our children, if you want them to have favor, number one, they need to love the Lord and the word of God, and you can't push it down their throat. You just have to live it in front of them. That's why we need to endeavor to do all these things in our lives. You shouldn't treat your children rude, ill-mannered, and arrogant. Don't come across like you're so superior. Yes, they need to understand you're their parent and respect that. But don't treat your children rude. Treat them as courteously as you would the pastor. You know what I'm saying? Everybody, when they're around, they find out he's a pastor, then they treat them nice for the first two weeks. <laughs> and, but, but you shouldn't treat your kids. I've seen people that have treat their kids so rude. Don't treat your kids rude. I don't want to get treated rude. Treat your kids politely. You're, they're going to be more responsive to you. If you want to have favor with them, treat them right. So they should love the Lord. They should be full of life excitement. They should not be dull and dry and legalistic. Number two, children, we talked about the saying children should be seen and not heard. It's a stupid tradition of men. Children should be polite. They should not dominate every conversation, but they should not be dull and they should not be brain dead. You want your kids to be full of life and fun. We had this couple that moved in about the 1st of January, a young couple across the street from us. And they bought this house and they moved in in January. And about two days later, we had a snowstorm. And it wasn't very long, and this young man was out across the street at the elderly neighbors helping him scoop snow and visiting with him. I, could see, I can see it out the window. Like Everybody in our neighborhood knows everything. So immediately, we weren't the only ones. Everybody now likes the young man because of the way he was behaving. And then we have a neighbor that's very rude and uncourteous to the rest of the neighborhood, and he's becoming a thorn in the flesh. But he feeds his birds and squirrels. It's not just the bird feeders. He spreads the food out all over the street. And, and, and there's just, it's just annoying because there's coons and possums and probably rats and mice, and it's just it's a mess. There's sunflower seeds all over, and it's just becoming very aggravating to the neighborhood. Well, this young man is a fireman, and he has this foghorn thing, you know, bullhorn. And once in a while when there's about 80 starlings and 50 squirrels out there, he steps out of his garage and he blows this bullhorn. And they just, and now the neighborhood really loves this kid. They just think it's a hoot. And kids should be like, they should have some life. It should have some fun. And the people, you know, people appreciate that. He's not being rude, he's not being, but it's just, he's not a brain dead guy. He's just a full of life young man and the neighborhood appreciates it. We need to teach our children to work and carry out their share of responsibility. No one likes lazy people except other lazy people. That's, this kid keeps his yard up nice and neat and, and he's always helping other people and he just has favor 
with the neighborhood. He's not lazy. Second Thessalonians 3.10 says, For even, this was Paul, for even when we were with you, we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. In other words, teach your children to carry out their share of the responsibility. Um, and the next thing, probably the last thing, and this is important, if you want your children to have favor with God and with man, teach them thankfulness. God does not favor unthankfulness. And let me read you in Second Timothy. Second Timothy, I always have trouble finding it. Second Timothy chapter 3. Verses 2 through 5. It says, And the things, this is Paul talking to Timothy, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach them to others. You, therefore, must endure hardship as the good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged, wait a minute. Is this right? Three, two, yeah. Okay, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of life. No, this is not the scripture I'm looking for. Anyway, it must be probably 1 Timothy 3. Give me a minute. I'll look. 1 Timothy. Yes, 1 Timothy. I'm sorry. 1 Timothy 2 through 5. And it's talking about um, bishops or people in the church. They must be blameless. One husband, temperate, sober-minded, good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, not gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. In other words, these are things that attain favor. Able to rule his own house well. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. And it, and it talks about a list of end-time sins it talks about we must not be lovers of self, covetous, boasters, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, and unthankful. A list of the end time sins, one of the ones, and we overlook those. We always think adultery, we always think drunkenness, these are the great sins. It talks about here, one of the end time sins that God doesn't favor is unthankfulness. And he's talking here about, you know, people in the church, leaders in the church should not be that way. They should understand this. We need, and it says, and then it not only says that these are a list of end time sins, but it says from such people stay away. So in other words, people that aren't grateful, that aren't thankful, don't hang around them much. And I grew up, looking back, we didn't really have a lot. We weren't super rich we lived in Monroe I mean at most I could never understand why the Columbus people always looked down on the Monroe people but I think they did but uh, city people lots of times tend to look down on country people and country people kind of tend to look down on city people but but I was always so thankful I thought I had the best life of anybody and this week on Facebook there was something and it was about if you grew up on a farm and it was the best days in your life like this and there were all kinds of likes. It's, you know, I was thankful. We didn't have a lot, but we had a good life. And we need to teach our children to be thankful for what they have. They might not have the best Jordan shoes in the world. They might, 
you know, not have the best. We had things in our home life that weren't perfect. Looking back, I think, man, we were kind of a messed up bunch, but we were a happy messed up bunch, you know. We got along, and, and I was so thankful for that. And, and, you know, I just want, we need to be thankful for what we have, not look so much about what we don't have, but God appreciates thankfulness. And children should be taught to be thankful for what they have. And you and I should be thankful for what we have. After being in Indianapolis, I thank God every day that I live in Nebraska. (laughs) I thank God for my nice, quiet, peaceful backyard. I thank, you know, there's so many things, and we can overlook those little things. I walked back this week, and a mama wood duck and her six babies were swimming. I'm so thankful that I have that. And those are little things, but those are so important. Those are so much more important than all the big things that we attain to. And and I think if 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 you learn to be thankful for what you have, you know, this the same guy that has the seeds scattered all over the neighborhood, he is the most grumpy, self centered, irritating. <laughs> he just he, he doesn't take care of his pets well. He doesn't speak to the neighbors. He's grumpy. He's grumbly. He, anything anybody does offends him, but he can do all this stuff and thinks it shouldn't offend. And, and he's just so unthankful. And I think if we're just thankful for the things, it just take time to be thankful for the things we have. And granted, everything doesn't go well every day, but, you know, at the end of the day, if we're thankful and express our thankfulness when we're around the kids, they will grow up to be thankful. And I think that kind of attitude projects something that attracts people. Because grumpy across the street doesn't attract people. He repels people. And we want to be a people that attracts people because we're happy, we're full of life, the life of God should be on the inside of us and we should appreciate. I got of all people, we should appreciate what God has done for us. Even if today doesn't go well, my gosh, someday we're going to be in heaven with him. And so teach your children to be thankful and be thankful yourself. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father God, for all that you do for us. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for Nebraska. We thank you that we have we can come to a church, Father God, and are free to worship you. Father God, we thank you for our health, for our prosperity, for each other. Father, we thank you that we're in this together. And I ask that you bless these people exceedingly abundantly above all that they can ask or think this week, this month, and this year. In Jesus' name. Amen.